if you are like me, well, I wouldn't wish that on anyone else. No, no, just relax. What I mean is that uh, I think when you get into our elder years, you realize that your ship has sailed. And that uh, if you're like me, you start to worry not about yourself, but about your kids, your grandkids, and maybe your great-grandchildren and the children that come through your family after you. And throughout history, it's taken a long time to change things when a new idea comes along. At the beginning of the 21st century, I think it was in the fall of 1999, a friend of mine gave me an article from the New York Times written by Arthur Schlesinger, the historian. And this article was dedicated to the three things that had to be, the three challenges that the 20th century had to face. The first was answering questions. And the first one was, what is the best form of economics for the most people in the world? And in the 20th century, the battle between communism and capitalism was won by the capitalists. So that question, Schlesinger said, got answered. And now throughout the world, there are different forms of capitalism emerging, even in China. And pretty soon in Cuba. The second question is, what form of government is best for the most people on earth? That, too, that question also got answered in the 20th century as democracy. One person, one vote. The 20th century began with lots of Kaisers, Kings, and Tsars, and so forth ruling. Family dynasties ruling over many people of the globe. By the end of the 20th century, most of them are all gone. If they are, if they are around, it is, uh, it is as a ceremonial post. The third question that the 20th century had to face was, how then shall we live together? And that question was not answered in the 20th century. That is what you and I, our children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren, will have to work out. We have a nice tradition in our country the tradition of democracy and of capitalism, but we also need to start to provide leadership for answering that third question. How then shall we live together? And for me, the experience of St. Paul gives us a very direct and dramatic 
understanding of how one can transform, be transformed in one's mind. Hello? And one of you two read that. I think you did. And you read the other thing of what happens when that transformment takes place from Romans. So that's what I want to talk about today. I gave you four pages of sermon notes. I'm treating you like a fourth grader. And I'm going to have you fill in the blanks. I have found, and every teacher knows, that if you get somebody to write something down, they remember it better. If you read a textbook, you only remember a little of it. If you read it and take notes on it, you remember a lot more. Okay. I have to remember my glasses so that I can see what I wrote. So if we have failed at that third question in the 20th century, what should our attitude be? That's page one. It's titled, Okay, if we're feeling, what are we to do? First of all, we have to realize that we're all in the same boat. And so... Here are some facts, four facts about failure. When we acknowledge our difficulties and our problems, then we can move forward. First, everyone fails. Alderson said, at first you don't succeed, you're running about average. (laughs) Two, nobody likes failure. JFK said, failure has no friends. Three, everyone can learn to move forward by admitting to the problem and learning from it. Will Rogers said, if stupidity got us into this mess, why can't it get us out of it? (laughs) Four, somebody needs to show others how to move forward. George Burns said this backhandedly. If you first, you don't succeed, destroy all the evidence you you tried. (laughs) Okay. That's the last thing. The last thing, number four, is the key for Christians. Moving forward through our difficulties and failures is the mission of authentic Christian people. The major difference between unconscious people and conscious people is their perception and response to failure or to difficulties or to suffering. Their perception and their response to it. Now before I talk about Paul a little, I'll give you the last statement. We must move from our egocentric self, our perception, and and blaming others. If it wasn't for you, I'd feel better. You know, you can't do that to somebody. You control your own attitudes towards life. We move to this then, to the other and eternal perception of how we can transform what is going on. 
In other words, it's up to us. What happened in St. Paul's life? Who was St. Paul before this Damascus Road experience happened to him? He was one that was going around crucifying, taking care of, stoning Christians. Hello? He was being legalistically Jewish, and he didn't like what these people were doing. Their new insight into the world threatened him. So he moved from his egocentric ego toward justified terror against them. Hello? All right. We all have that in us. And we have to realize that we, have, we can change that egocentric ego. We used to call it selfishness, but it defines you need a strong ego in life to get through life. But you can't just put it in service to itself. You have to put it in what Jesus did as the fully, first fully integrated ego in the world was put his ego in service to the Spirit of God. That's the difference. And we see the transformation in the life of Paul through this experience, this powerful experience. But he needed help. So Ananias was selected by God to go help him. He was a Jewish Christian in Damascus. And the scriptures say that he stayed a few days and learned from Ananias and he prayed. In one of those translations that you read from Romans, it says, continue, uh, pray continuously or pray all the time or something like that. I, I one time read a translation that read that little phrase in Romans as, be continuing instant in prayer. I love that phrase. And I often find myself continuing instant. I'm always talking to Jesus or to God. When I make some idiot thing that I did or cho cho said or did, I go, uh-oh, hey boss, you know, and, and I start talking. And I'm praying at that moment. I'm saying, correct this egocentric ego and get me back on track. Paul went through that, and he is our model. And now with the rest of what I'm going to put down in your sermon notes, I want you to understand that you will be the model for someone else. My wife, Barbara, coined a phrase that said, we all need scouts in our life. People who are a generation ahead of us to teach us how to move into the next phase of life that we're moving into. Uh, do I hear an amen out there? Okay. You probably can find some in your life. And you can probably name them if I came up to you. It's really important to have those people. So ask yourself, am I a good scout? Is somebody watching me and that I will affect their life? Okay, let's turn to the notes and go to page two. Okay, how did Paul overcome his egocentric structured living? 
And I, I put some of that stuff in there in this Second Corinthians. It's another way. He, he says this continually in his letters. Number one, Paul realized that the source of his vision, that God was the source of his vision. So the first step is to get a bigger vision of life. Anything done on our own strength will either fail miserably or succeed even more miserably. You know, I've often, I've often talked with guys, and I can characterize it, who've just given their life to their career to be a success. And they said, I climbed the ladder of success only to find it was leaning against the wrong building. <laughs> they valued things that were not, in the end, really ultimately valuable. Second, Paul, now this is key. This is so key. If you remember one thing, this second statement is powerful. Paul refused to allow the difficulties on the outside to get inside of him. Now some of you know I'm a New England Patriots fan, which has its ups and downs. But uh, one of the things that uh, uh, a cornerback by the name of uh, Revis, he played one year with the Patriots last year. They won the championship. He said, what, what was the secret of success? Because you always wonder because they've been so good for about 15 years. And he said, the guys in the locker room don't, like, don't let what's going on outside, what other people are saying, get into the locker room. They stay focused on their business. That's not letting the chipping of the outside get inside you. Okay? Paul did that. That's what he did. That's how he kept his eye on the prize. Paul, then number three. This is how he did it. Paul continued to follow his vision without complete understanding. He didn't know it was, where it was going to take him. In fact, you know, God says to Ananias, you know, he doesn't know what's coming. If you teach him, he doesn't know what's coming, that I'm going to be with him through all the suffering he's going to have to go through. Why did God know that? Because a transformed ego in service to the Spirit of God is going to run into the conflict of the selfish, egocentric egos in the rest of us. That's the danger we face when we try to have that. It's not for sissies. And Paul was no sissy. Four, Paul knew that God would be with him during the tough times. He knew that God is with you every moment of your life, so even when you're in those difficult times, you can talk with God. And if you loosen up your own thinking, God will give you fresh ideas to deal with an old problem. 
5. Paul did not allow the event to overshadow the process. When he ran into trouble, he realized this was something he had to go through. God would transform the situation, struck down but not destroyed. How many of you remember the poet Jim Cavanaugh who was here several years ago? Okay, so a few of you do. Jim used to say, that when you're knocked down and beaten up in the alley, you have to think to yourself, this is right where I belong. I got something to learn here. So God, give me the strength to get up, dust myself off, and walk up to the boulevard. That's what Paul did. He trusted that God would be with him, and he knew Because, what did he do? He kept his eye on the vision that God gave him about what life is supposed to be. This is played out in the life of Jesus. That flash of light that he accompanied was the dawning of a new consciousness in him. And it blinded his eye of selfishness before. Okay. So what can we do to move forward? First of all, the first statement right under is understand that transformation is the process of getting into Christ consciousness. Christ consciousness is understanding that the word Christ is not Jesus' last name. Christ is the Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah. Messiah means the anointed one. As children of God, of children of God's creation, all of us have an anointed place within our psyche. Hello? And I call this the Christ center. It's the place where you have given up control of your life, forming a good identity as an ego. Ego just means the pronoun I. It's not some magic word that floats around inside you. It just means your sense of self. And you get to realize that you were created to serve a spirit. Now, the difference between you and me and Jesus is that he knew that from the beginning and got it. We didn't. We have to continually get beaten up by life to try to come to some understanding of what we're supposed to do. Okay. (sighs) All right, so what are we supposed to first? Begin to perceive life differently, not from the egocentric mind. Be objective about your your self-examination. Watch how you perceive and respond to criticism, failure, fear, or suffering. This is your way. Number one is about finding the bigger picture of your life. Secondly, and this I call personal responsibility. Learn to respond differently not with the emotions and thoughts of the egocentric mind, which tend to take everything personally. 
Instead, ask yourself, what can the Spirit of Jesus open to me in this situation? Are, are you with me? Okay. So this is taking personal responsibility, getting away from blaming others. Third, I am not in this alone, is the category I call this one. Because my perception and response to misunderstanding and difficulty is now coming out of my deeper self, my thou, my spiritual anything, I can openly talk about and work on my own problems. I can now happily receive help from others to work on my own difficulties. Okay? The task of a Christian is to repair your past history. To take How many of you, you know, a couple a month or so ago I came and I told you that the Pixar movie Inside Out was a it was actually a movie for adults and I, I did any of you go see that? Okay. You will see what I was trying to say that we have these feelings that pop up in different situations and if we let them collect around our past memories we can distort our movement towards being a channel of the Spirit of God for life outside us to be that scout of the future for the next generation. Okay? This is an idea that has taking place now and will take maybe 100 or 200 more years to get fully around the planet and into the thinking of all the philosophies and religions around the world. Are you with me on that? You have a mission to be a part of that. There are only going to be a few of you out there doing that. But that's what our calling is. When, when Bruce, and, Bruce and Shelley just sang, they were saying, you know, here I am, Lord. Do that transformation. Oh, I'm, I'm going to start to preach in a minute. <laughs> the fourth thing is maturing in faith. When you reach that fourth stage, you're really entering into a mature relationship with God. Remember, I, I define faith as a relationship because you always have faith in something, in a person, in God, in the Dodgers. And they, they'll let you down from time to time. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what sports teach us. You don't you don't always win. You learn more from losing than hello. <laughs> now that I have learned to deal with and handle my problems, rejections and failures, I am sensing new optimism and growth in my life. So as you mature in faith, it's an, in a time when you feel yourself coming to your fullness. Fifth. I have begun to appreciate uh, and sometimes thank my pain and difficulties because of all of I have continued to learn and the new me that is blossoming. I am moving forward with profound gratitude. It's like the old hymn that said, the joy that seeks me through my pain. So this is the joyful and the dangerous time. Number four is the time where you can fall back. You're so grateful and you're joyful and you're, you're just exuding that great. You can think you've arrived. 
And when you think you've arrived, you're back in your egocentric ego. And that's the dangerous place. And finally, the sixth. Am I in the sixth or the fifth? I can't remember. Okay, the sixth one. This is, uh, this is living from your Christ center. I am willing to live from this spiritual self, just as Jesus did, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, and your strength, and your neighbor as yourself. That's the simple statement that is hard to do. Finally, remember Paul's transformation. He had two perspectives that uh, motivated him. (coughs) First is the grace perspective. He realized that we get this life as a gift and you can take it thinking it makes you great or you can take it to be something for someone else in the future. And finally, the God perspective is number two. What I need you to know today is down at the bottom statement. God breaks our egocentricity through setbacks and hardships in order that we can experience life through his eyes. So I I come this morning really wishing that I could live another 200 years, but knowing it's not going to happen. I'd love to see where we're going to wind up. And we all have a lot of work to do, and it starts here. Don't let the junk of the outside get inside you. Allow, if you can live in that moment of gratitude and of grace, understanding that you've been given love, as Paul Tillich says, just because you exist. You were in the mind of God before you were created. The possibility of you was there. And it happened through your mom and dad, through your genetic structure, your experiences, and your personality blossomed. So say thank you the rest of your life. And live well. Peace be with you.